Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Hordari Dorgan. With me, as always, is a man who just doesn't want to keep playing the French horn for these fucking assholes all night. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, I have definitely been the waiter <laughs> been turning off every other light throughout the space <laughs> uh, in order to encourage the very last couple to go home, please. I would like to go home. This is pr- I, I love it. In my I felt for those people so much. Yeah. In my experience, though, it has actually usually been a particular issue. Uh, less late at night, though that's happened plenty uh, and is terrible. Uh, but where it gets, really gets under my skin is when I'm working a double and I have an hour off between shifts and someone at lunch just refuses to leave. So that I cannot oh, yeah. cannot get out for the one hour I have off in a thirteen hour shift. Oh, so yeah, the guy the guy who just decides that I just I really enjoyed the 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 musician who's like I'm out. Yeah, and like he just like stands up, and because the way the shots framed, he just sort of apropos of nothing, just stands up. And he's like, "Fuck this!" puts on his <laughs> right, jacket and right, walks out. Right. It's, so good. it's so good. I loved it. And this the energy in that room is it is I argue the best acting in the movie. I also absolutely love the the porter or waiter, whoever is putting out the candles, how it's very clear that he is through a process of of putting out one more candle every time he ro- goes through the rotation because it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. like by the time we see him, half the candles are put out and he's putting out one more as he walks one to more. the next one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very good. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, suddenly immerse these people in darkness but i'm going to make them feel that is actually that is actually the opposite of how it it normally worked at my work which was uh turn the lights up slowly the later at night it goes to uh to make the the harshness of the electric lights uh scare people off but uh well i mean that's i mean (laughs) if they had that ability i'm sure that's what he would have done if he had fluorescent bulbs he could have cranked on he would have right right? right. like he's like that that, that's the ultimate get the fuck out of here is when like the fluorescent bulbs and some other back part of the (laughs) room goes on like the the these aren't meant for you to enjoy these are meant for us to be able to do our goddamn jobs and leave yeah that is a a different atmosphere of the service industry uh before electricity because uh, one thing I've noticed with these O'Fools movies, or O'Fools movies, is that uh, uh, all that cleanup has to take place the next morning instead of the night before you go home to right. bed. Uh, right. So, so that you have the light to see it. Um, yeah, it's like you're not gonna, you you were never gonna be able to clean up by candlelight. You were certainly <laughs> shit not gonna clean up by half the candle. Right, right, right. So get out of here. We'll come back. <laughs> AM crew sweeps. That's what happens. Anyway. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our, our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can access to a non-criterion film bonus episode. Pat and I put together a poll, uh, let our supporters vote on what movie we're going to watch. A, I have very little to do with the poll. It's true. I, I renounce it. I do try to run it by you <laughs> no, at I least. Know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> mostly, mostly so I can confirm whether or not you have access to. Yeah, yeah. Which that was, is always Which was like the problem with our Canadian movie poll uh, was was the Turned first. Out, not a lot of Canadian the movies fir- well, that I have access to. Yeah. Not a lot of Canadian movies you have access to. The first three or four uh, variations of that poll I put together, there were no, no movies on those lists that you could get access to yeah. uh, legally. Um, so yeah, uh, but we have fun. We do, like I said, uh, let uh, let those supporters vote on them. Let the supporters suggest lists. Sometimes uh, the fifth option on every poll is always Kazam, the Shaquille O'Neal starring children's movie from 1996, which we watched a couple of times. Uh, it always seems like a failing on my part when people feel like they need to vote for Kazam. Well, 
I like having it there as a, a relief, uh, sort of a relief valve. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does let them express their displeasure to us right. in, a, in a very non, <laughs> in a very midwestern sort of way. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, it's very, very passive aggressive to make us watch because they have, yeah, like, oh, sorry guys, you're going to be watching this this week. Yeah. Uh, hey, we we have fun watching Kazam too, but uh, yeah, but we've watched uh, we've watched just a, a huge array of movies over there. You know, the the array of movies available in the Criterion Collection is wide enough, but we have widened it even more by watching things like Dog Day Afternoon and Ernest Goes to Camp. Uh, <laughs> All on the same, nominally the same podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, uh, it's a good time. We have a, we have a lot. Well, of fun. it's kind of a, it, it yeah. It's not, it's nice to break away from, from the Criterion Collection now and again. It does feel kind of good to, to watch something that, like, you know, is just so. It's often something we would never get a chance to watch otherwise. So. That's a dollar a month. Yeah. For a little above that, five dollars a month. We like to thank those people on air. We only have one five dollar benefactor at this point so thank you very much to our good friend Stephen Goldmeyer who is giving us five dollars a month um, yes thank you we only have one five dollar a month because I feel like our ten dollar a month is just so enticing and uh, and so delicious so delicious uh, doth thou <laughs> wish to live deliciously uh, ten dollars a month at patreon.com slash lost in criteria no uh, <laughs> it's like, it's just, this podcast gets real weird <laughs> That is a quote from the witch, the Vivitch, if you will. At ten dollars and above, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on postcards, mail that out with a little personalized note. And uh, now, uh, starting now, over at Redbubble.com, if you search for Lost in Criterion over there, you can see you can help us commit copyright infringement. Yeah, you can see and uh, and purchase past iterations of the postcard for your own personal use. Uh, we do put that on a little bit of a delay. The new postcards don't go up there until three months after they've been shipped off to our supporters. Uh, Got to keep it special for them, right? But uh, yeah. but those supporters, we do like to thank them on air as well, and they they clearly enjoy it because uh, we uh, we haven't lost a ten dollars supporter for many <laughs> for a good many <laughs> years. Uh, and the and the last one we did lose was incredibly. Uh, apologetic um, he went through some life changes and had to lower his donation yeah um, very understandable yeah. thing but thank you so much to uh christopher otto to jason westhaver michael mcgrath patrick yako and adam speakerman our current ten dollar and above supporters yes thank you so much uh and look forward to your next postcard i don't know what it is yet Pat, this week we are finishing up our last uh last in a string of max O'Fool's movies um, mm-hmm. Ophuls was a German-born director who got out of Germany uh, pretty early. Uh, being a Jewish man, uh, it was a smart thing to do. Um, he uh, he was actually born Oppenheimer. I learned this week. I hadn't really. I I knew oh, I knew Ophuls was uh, Ophuls was a assumed name, but I didn't, for some reason I, it didn't click what the uh, what his birth name was. Um, but, uh, he ended up, uh, moving around Europe for a, for a few years early in the war. He spent the entire forties, uh, in the U S, uh, working for American production companies who did not share his vision for what a movie should be. Um, uh, and, uh, after butting heads with Americans for a decade, not that he didn't make good movies in America. I'm told I haven't actually seen any of his American movies, but, uh. He moved back to Europe and started making movies in France, and we've watched three of those movies uh, over the last few weeks. This is our third. Uh, 1953's The Earrings of Madame de, uh, Madame du, I suppose in French, based on the novel Madame du by Louise Levesque de Villemorin, uh, a woman who absolutely hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really great, really great four minute interview with uh, with her on uh, uh, clearly shot decades ago, um, possibly when the movie came out. It's it's in black and white, but in, in shot for television, so it could be. Yeah, there's there's a wide array of reasons that might have happened. So right, I, yeah. I can't I don't know the date offhand. Um, I'm sure it's on it's listed on the Criterion 
uh, extras as to when it was filmed, but I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't have that information directly in front of me. But uh, she just tears into the movie. Um, but before she tears into the movie, is is she starts it off kind of interestingly in that um, she says she doesn't consider the movie, or she doesn't consider her novel a love story, which is accurate. It's not a love story the way we get it, at least. Right. Um, but a story of boastful pride. Uh, what does she mean by that, Pat? Uh, well, she says okay. she doesn't. Was I supposed to? Re- was this a calm response? <laughs> no, was no, I supposed no, no. to be? Was uh, I supposed to be doing that? You don't. You don't need to. Uh, she says How she. How tired were you? She says no. she doesn't like women. Calls herself a bit of a misogynist, and describes uh, in complaining about changes made to the book. She says that in the book, Madame Day dies because she commits a great indiscretion, whereas okay. in the movie, she dies of a broken heart. Um, okay. So, sure. uh, so apparently she hates Madame Day, uh, her character, uh, and because she hates Madame Day, her character, the movie, which shows sympathy to Madame Day, the character, <laughs> is bad. Um, oh, that's an, uh, that is not the reason I would have thought yeah. she hated the movie. Yeah. Uh, it is a fascinating one. Yeah. She also hates but, that uh, the time frame was chosen, uh, was moved. Madame Day in her, uh, in her novel it takes place in 1930s vienna instead of this vague late okay. 18th century thing that uh uh mm, is i can see that very, i kind of feel like this yeah. might be more fun to watch in 19 yeah. like 20s 30s something like that than yeah. like the, Ophel, like this time period feels so feels kind of yeah. like a weird choice but the bulk of her complaining then uh, is related to the time change, the fact that uh, our husband changes from just a count uh, who is independently wealthy and, and doesn't have to work to a general who she insists a general would never buy such a ridiculously expensive pair of earrings for his wife. Generals just don't do that. Um, oh, is that so? <laughs> she says. Um there were other things. There were a number of things where actions that took place on screen she described as that just doesn't happen in a very a very upper oh, class yeah. sort of way. Um, this person sounds like a, a real treat. Yeah, I should have listened yeah. to this. Uh, yeah, this interview. Uh, so basically, a lot of complaints that uh, are that they get the social culture wrong, not only by changing it from what it was in the novel, but also that they're. <laughs> their presentation of the social culture they are trying to present in the movie is incorrect by her reading. Um, and she definitely okay, seems well. to come from that social culture. So I'll, I'll yield to her. Uh, she finishes off this entire rant and I love, she finishes it off with, of course I'm complaining. It's wrong. Besides the movie's boring. Um, <laughs> She wraps up with like, yeah, it also just sucks. So. Yeah. So that's how she wraps it up. And then uh, and then she segues a little bit. Oh. She says uh, that Ophels had presented a first draft to her that was perfect and that the uh, the dialogue writer was a friend of hers. Um, and she blames the changes from the novel to the movie completely on executive meddling and saying that the producers wanted to make a more commercially viable work. Um, so so she absolves okay. she absolves her friends of <laughs> who well, that's good. who are well, that's the, the main crafters of the movie. But she absolves her friends. But uh, Wow. Yeah. This is this is a this is a ride. Yeah. And all that in a four minute interview. All that huh? in like four and a half minutes, yeah. <laughs> Wow. It's pretty great. It's on the Criterion channel. You can check that out. I should have watched it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, whenever I encounter those short interviews, sometimes I, I feel tempted to just skip them because like a lot of times they're just like not that interesting, I, you know? I will I will say that there is a 14-minute introduction from Paul Thomas Anderson talking about the movie that is also on the Criterion channel that is not worth watching. Paul Thomas Anderson does That's not. That's what I'm saying. He does not say a single thing worthwhile except to talk about why he likes the movie, which is fine. I'm glad to hear why someone else likes the movie. 
that's all we do is talk about. <laughs> no, but, yeah, for sure. But, but we're also not that worth listening to, so whatever. <laughs> I also agree with that. Um, but yeah, he didn't really provide any new information, and, and why he likes the movie is... I mean, you're going to hear why he likes the movie because it's the same reason why anyone likes the movie. <laughs> so, right. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, it's just those 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 bonus features are always really a tough call. Right, like right. I sometimes I if I really enjoy the movie or I there's something I want to know about it like really bad, I'll engage with them. Yeah. And then sometimes I'm like, no, I don't really. Yeah. I don't two weeks really ago, care. two weeks ago for Laurent. The interview with the set decorator was really, really interesting. Right. Last yeah. week, the interview with the set decorator was significantly less interesting. <laughs> um, right. This yeah. week, the interview well, with the set, I, set director is or set decorator is okay, but it's actually with his assistant because the actual director died and his assistant oof. is uh, and the assistant murdered him. It's a whole <laughs> yeah. police mystery. It's like a there's a there's an entire true crime <laughs> podcast on this Criterion. I wish. Bonus I wish. Episode. I wish. Um, now he's uh, the assistant set decorator is interesting to an extent. Um, it's mostly not great, uh, but he does provide some interesting information. One, he has some some preliminary sketches on uh, that the uh, a designer put together to show uh, Ophuls on what he was picturing for like the ballroom scenes. Uh, which are really good, but he does say that the uh, uh, his boss had a tendency of just throwing away everything as soon as a production ended. So the fact that okay. any of these any of these exist at all is uh, is, is based on the fact that he died. Kind of a miracle. <laughs> uh, he does not explain the providence of them uh, or provenance of them coming to him, uh, but. Uh, but the one interesting thing he does really get into is that um, knowing knowing Ophel's tendency and desire for as long a take as possible, right, uh, for not cutting the camera um, and doing that all on, like, really, you know, intricate dolly shots. Um, right. And dollies are tracks, right? So especially at the time, you've got to... Uh, You've got a track you have to lay down for for the camera dolly, um, right? So because of that, all of the sets are built on wheels. Everything is on wheels. Oh, interesting. So on rollers, so that they can uh, move walls around the back of the camera as need be. Uh, oh, that's interesting. And uh, and get things out of the way of uh, of the actors and the camera as it moves through the scene which is very interesting to me. Um, yeah. Again, obviously this is all, as as with the other movies we've seen, this is obviously all on soundstage. Um, so right. they have the well, ability yeah. to one, do that sort one, of thing. But. Right, yeah. I, this one, I, at, at, this one's interesting because the other ones, the soundstage seems, uh, this might just be being like in my own head about it, seems less intrusive than than this one this one i don't know why but like the other ones well the, uh, you know obviously the first the first one there is a part that's not on a sound right, stage and right, that's right. when they go out to the country which makes the whole movie itself feel a little bit more open by having that part be actually in a place that's not a sound stage right and then with the second one because the locations are kind of inherently sort of claustrophobic anyway it, that feeling is fine. Well, you've this one. You've switched which one? Laurent was the oh, first one. I, and that's I'm the trying one to think about it. Like, I've gone backwards. It's yeah, and then the, Les Placier. one was the Les Placier has the big outdoor right. sequence with the with the uh, right prostitutes going to the first communion. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yes, but yes. that's yeah. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, but like um, this one like um. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know. And maybe it's just like, I don't know what order these were filmed. I don't know if these are in I believe um, they are. chronological I order. I believe they are. Yeah. This one, the only, I don't know. There was a couple times when, like, obviously the ballroom and stuff, that's all fine. Uh, it, it doesn't suffer from that. I feel like the ones where it hit me, like, wow, we are dealing with a soundstage, is when, um, is passport control, customs and passport control. Yes. 
and the ga- and then the and then the uh, the casino, yeah, just feel so tight, like. Not just it's a soundstage, but like they couldn't get the size of soundstage they wanted. Right, so this right, room is right, just right. They sh- so unassumingly tiny yeah. for a place that should be pretty big and open. Um, yeah, right. You know, and I get I get that maybe about the the Paris customs. I don't know the the stuff in Constantinople. I guess is is maybe realistically small in that. Yeah, I I think Constantinople is kind of a tight city, right? So. Yeah, I think it, what bothers me about it is not the is not it's probably the fact that those win, those rooms all lack, and it's probably what makes it feel like a soundstage is a thing that was totally rectifiable, which is they have no exterior view at all. Right, 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 right. The, 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 these places are all closed rooms. Yeah, that don't that don't look out, and that's true of basically every room in this right. movie. Right, and they but it feels less significant in some of the other. And they obviously are movie. comparatively tight to the ballrooms and the manor houses, right? Right. So, um, so that's certainly true. Uh, especially when, you know, the, the general and, and Madame Day's house is almost like, uh, it's not quite as, uh, infinitely large as the house of the, uh, was that the, the fallen hero or no, that's not quite the name of it, but the, uh, the movie about the, the little boy who, uh, gets his butler in trouble by implying that the butler murdered someone to the police. Um, we oh, watched a right, few months yeah. ago. Uh, but yeah, uh, Graham Greene penned it, but I can't remember even who directed it right now. The house in that movie was just, had like a hundred foot staircase to the second floor. Um, but uh, right, well, this one, right, yeah. this one isn't quite that large, but uh, but it's still pretty big. Um and in that one, it was sort of justified in that this, we're seeing things from the little kid's point of view, right? Uh, whereas this right. one, this one doesn't really have that justification either. Um, but yeah, when she's when she's coming down the stairs, particularly when when she's gone, the scene where uh, the Baron comes to see her and uh, brings her the earrings gives her the earrings and she runs upstairs to see what he brought her and discovers the earrings. And then is coming back downstairs and the Baron and the general are in conversation then. So she takes the earrings back off. That whole stair scene was very, I don't know. It was very affecting to me. I thought it was shot very well. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and that kind of gets back to what we have noticed about a fool's is like, he does, he does a good job of, of that kind of stuff. If you think about some of the other movies, like for example, the long staircase in the, uh, in the, I forget. Goodness gracious. Now at this point, I've lost the name of all the other ones, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where they, where they, we, we, yeah, yeah. The, uh, um, the opening of the, uh, the sculptor, the, the artist and his girlfriend, right. the final yeah. one, the model. Um, but yeah, the third section of, of Le Placier. Yeah. Falling or right. falling yeah. them up I, the staircase that, as they meet, yeah. and then down the staircase arm in arm. Yeah, right. And Laplacier uses uses space really well right. for sort of right. environmental storytelling. Uh, it, 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 that like we've come to expect that, and this one does is not. This one's not any any different that way. I would say that this one is a little bit le- feels a little bit. When you compare it to something like La Passier or even Laurent, like feels slightly less artistic. Yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know why it just feels a little less stylized in its sort of use of space and things like that. It feels like much more straightforward. Like at the beginning, we kind of described it as an O. Henry story, which there's nothing wrong with that, but like it kind of has this sort of. It feel it kind of feels like an O. Henry story beyond just being, uh, like basically an O. Henry story in plot, right. but also in a kind of like it feels more. This story feels more, less artistic and more down to earth, just in general. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily in a good way. Not the way that like people describe down to earth as like, oh, that that guy's so down to earth, but like it it just doesn't feel as like kind of like yeah. lofty, right? It's interesting. You actually just reminded me that that both both the interview with the author and the interview with Paul Thomas Anderson 
uh, and obviously we've watched the movie very recently. It's still fresh in our minds, but both of them, right. both of them misdescribe the plot. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, the author, the author dismissively describes the plot as the, uh, the general unrealistically buying the same earrings for his wife four times, uh, which is not accurate. Um, one, he doesn't even buy them for his wife one of those times. Um, right. And only, well, it's only three times anyway, <laughs> right, right. and one of them is not for his wife. <laughs> right. It's really... Yeah. And then... Uh, and if you think about the flow of the story, the second, the third time is not even for his wife right, really right. either because he makes his wife give them <laughs> yeah, to... Because, because he buys them back the third time just to uh, just to tell her what, tell his wife to... Uh, just to make her mad. Um but uh, but yeah, and then Paul Thomas Anderson describes the scenes with the uh, um, with the jeweler as uh, Madame Day selling her earrings three times, which is also not at all accurate as to to what happens when she's at the right. And, she's at and the jeweler. It's easy enough to yeah. Which right. is it's easy enough to chalk it up to us, like you know, as you pointed out, like yeah. we watched it, like I watched it literally a day and a half ago. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like presumably uh, neither of these people had watched it less than forty-eight hours yeah. prior to talking about it. That also reminds me that one of one of the author's other complaints, uh, very, very casually, uh, she talks about the jewelry scene. You know, having bought the buying the the same earrings for his wife four times. Um, she talks about the jewelry scene and um, immediately, like under her breath, says, the jeweler, who should have been Cartier, uh, in, in the book was a- the actual diamond jeweler, Cartier. And, right. And she was mad that that wasn't accurate to the movie either. That's so weird. Yeah. What, a, what a thing to be caught up on. I mean, huh? if, if you pour your heart into writing a book, which it doesn't seem like she really did either, but <laughs> I understand. I understand not liking the experience of Hollywood adapting one of it's not even Hollywood, but yeah. obviously of, of your movie, of your book getting adapted into the movie. Um, but like all of her complaints just make me like her less and less as a human being. <laughs> so yeah, each time yeah. Yeah, every, with every complaint, we like yeah. you less. Like, I mean, I have my complaints about the movie, yeah. but like those are, it, it's interesting that somebody to listen to the author who has, Complaints that are wildly, <laughs> right. like completely in a different a different planet from mine. Right, right. Uh, it's pretty hilarious. Um, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of interviews with people um, in the bonus features. Another person who gets uh, interviewed is Alain Jessu, um, who is credited as the assistant director, but in his interview he describes himself more as an intern on set. Um, okay, and he had. Uh, interned for Jacques Becker, um, and uh, and Becker had interned for Renoir or, or worked with Renoir. So he he compares those three directors. He says uh, Renoir's response to a good take would be, "You are brilliant. Let's do it again." Uh, Becker's response would be, "You are brilliant. Let's try it like this." Uh, whereas Ophuls <laughs> would. Uh, just spend hours rehearsing with just, just the actors before technical even came in. Mm-hmm. They'd start production at seven a.m. and it would just be him and the actors running through the scene before. Which you know is is kind of what we talked about with the uh, with the model, right? The third yeah. section last one uh, week with the with the actor there, um, who had similar things to say about about Becker and Renoir because he'd worked with both of them too, right? Um, another <laughs> just completely disinteresting to the movie, uh, but but interesting to the fact that Criterion credits him as an assistant director. He describes his main job on on site during this movie as uh, during the jewelry store scenes. It was his job to sweep up the horse's poop. <laughs> oh, nice, <laughs> so, nice, yeah. Uh, I mean, it might be a little bit of like. You know, just be keeping himself humble or whatever, too, right? Yeah. But like, um, it's interesting to to bring up though that like acting style because, or you know that that yeah you that know, directing the way style works yeah. with the actors. Yeah, that that's what I meant. Like the way that he works with the actors is 
it's really interesting to me because we talked about this last week and the week before, but especially last week, he gets really, really good performances. Right, right. Out of his and actors. obviously he's he's working with I mean, phenomenal this, this actors. No exception. Right, he's working with phenomenal yeah. actors and actresses, and and yeah, but right, yeah. And and it's a really interesting like twist on our. I I feel like at this point we've spent so much time sort of engaged with the new wave and the and like dealing with the idea of like oh non actors and. And like these sort of acting styles that are these directing styles where they're trying to get like really different things out of the actors and things like that. And then to watch a these series of movies where the goal is like this is an actor and I want this actor to act as good as an actor can act. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and, and it's a different experience and it and it's it's been enjoyable. I mean, they're really good performances. Yeah. Like again, I don't super love the the base story of this movie. I, I get that. I'm just not a huge fan of it compared to some of the other both of the other two were the Ron was Yeah, they're also a collection of stories, did. right? The other two. Right. So spending right. I guess just by its nature, spending more time with one story isn't what we're used to with with Ovals right. already. That's that's definitely so. true. Although this one is sort of like parcelized into chunks of story, right? Yeah. Like the way it moves, you kind of move through blocks of the story. Uh, sort of based around the exchanges right, of the Right, right, right. It's still episodic. Like, it kind of moves in Certainly chunks. it's still episodic. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it, it is just a really different, like, uh, like but regardless I, of my feelings about the plot of the movie, like, the acting is still yeah. very, very good yeah. in this one as well. Um, it, the only, it, to the point where it gets good, again, I feel for those people working at that at that ball so <laughs> right, bad. Right, right, right. But also, like when they like when um, I guess it's the Baron and and uh, and uh, Madam Madam Day. I've, sure, I, names are not my strong shoes. Just Madam is is um, good because that's all we get. Yeah, the ma- yeah, yeah. Madam when Madam and and the Baron are dancing, um, their their intimacy is really. Oh yeah really apparent right like and and not and it's not just all through like physical gestures it'd it be like you feel them become sort of more and more sort of right intertwined like absolutely. sort of absolutely. emotionally intertwined absolutely. and that's all quite yeah. uh interesting to to see because it's like just very well well done so uh, so another in- fun to watch. another interesting aspect of the actors uh is that the baron is played by victorio de sica who we know right. as a director He's the director of Bicycle Thieves, mm-hmm. of Umberto D, uh, movies that came out right around the same time as this one. So, like, he's right. <laughs> you know he's finishing work up on Umberto D or whatnot, and and coming over to France to right, and then coming over here to like <laughs> to dance with uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not often that we meet a director who's also very good at acting. Um, so yeah, so maybe that's, that's absolutely true. Kind of a surprise too. Um. There is a a great little uh, tidbit. I think I pulled it off of Wikipedia that uh, Ophuls was uh, embarrassed trying to give directions to Jessica out of respect for Jessica's work. Um, oh, but uh, but they did eventually. They did become friends over the course of production. Um, the general is also played by uh, by an actor you you could possibly recognize. Charles Boyer. Would, I, we haven't. I don't think we've seen anything with him uh, for the. For the podcast, oh, but Boyer was freshly back in France after 20 years working in Hollywood. Um, he also got out of Europe in the 30s. Uh, and uh, he uh, he was the male lead in Gaslight, um, is probably mm-hmm. the the most okay. famous movie I could pull off of his list that you might might have seen. Yeah, um, I've not seen that, so, yeah. yeah. So, you know. I I also realize that 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 she does have a name. I have just forgotten all the names of all names of all the characters, but <laughs> she's Louis. Louis. They. I don't know. <sighs> and then he's Andre. I they say the names of all the characters. And yeah. I just totally, like the ge- they became just like oh this is the general. The general this refers to her. The general's wife. Yeah. The general refers to her by her first name a couple of times, but right. but not enough. She is the titular Madame Day. And we never learn their last name, which is sometimes hilariously done in in the movie. Yeah, like when when she meets the Baron, and her 
carriage is pulling away, so she just trails off, and we immediately cut to the first dinner scene with her nameplate, where her last name is just covered up by a napkin or right. something. Yeah, it's very yeah. good. Um, well, and then we, and then we, and then yeah, yeah. the, the you know, we finish yeah, the movie the, the same way. The final right? frame, the bookended, right, is yeah. is the donation window of the of the earrings, and her name is just the placard is off center, so her name is uh, yeah. off screen. It's, yeah, you know, I, uh, I believe uh, I saw I saw something refer to her name being kept off screen through camera tricks, and those aren't really camera tricks, actually. Yeah, like <laughs> um, frame, framing the placard off ca- off center is not not a camera trick, yeah, uh, per se. Um, yeah, but you know, I mean. But nonetheless, it is a the, you know it's very purposely done to to make sure we never know. Yeah, um, it's an interesting choice. I I don't know, like I mean I guess in the book it's probably the same way. I wouldn't know. I'm not going to read this. Well, book. And, you know, obviously in the book her her name isn't left off from uh, by camera tricks, <laughs> but uh, why? Well, yeah, but like, I, know, I mean, not, let's be honest here. Up. These are not camera tricks either. Yeah. Like it th- would be the exact same trick, which is not saying it. Right. The book is also called Madam Day, and there is for uh, given my very short experience with the author, I guarantee it was meant as a way to present the book as about real people and leaving off leaving right. off the name so as not to accuse anyone right. or even come close yeah. to accusing someone because yeah i mean that's the thing right is like it, once you get to the point of the movie like probably nobody yeah. cares but it's like a stylistic right. thing at that point right which is but not when you're which when is, you're writing essentially puts probably a kind of pseudo tell-all <laughs> right, book right, about right, somebody right. you know or at least framed like, as a tell-all book even if it isn't right. actually about real people right <laughs> Right, and then if you start, if you give anything, even like a first letter, then people can start to play detective, and right. there's a whole bunch right, of right, yeah. right, right, right. And given given that uh, she seems to have belonged to the society she was writing about, it is yeah very possible that she was avoiding her own impropriety. Um, by yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it is a silly. The movie, the movie treats that as a, just like a running joke, um, and <laughs> well, this movie kind of is like that, yeah. right? Like, and the fact that just like the other old fools movies, yeah, the fact that that running joke ends right after a a very tragic ending. We get one more instance of that running gag is uh, is kind is a weird of my mood favorite thing, thing about yeah. old fools. Honestly, yeah. yeah, is the fact that like old fools like and he does this in the other movies too. That we saw is this like willingness to just marry like actual emotional moments with just like yeah here's a gag yeah, yeah. enjoy it here's an old man who's bad at dancing it's cool <laughs> like you like that right like we all like that right right it's yeah he's got Le Ronde was openly a comedy right um, right yeah it's not you know. And and it's circular means that even the end of the movie isn't is just a beginning in its own way, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Le plaisir is episodic in a way where it's you know the first one is um, comedic, really. Uh, yeah. Takes well, yeah. tragedy into comedy. Uh, the second one is ironically comic through its whole thing um, with a, uh, you know, the, the reversing of, of positions, the, the prostitutes, you know, providing the emotional core of a, a uh, first communion is, is silly. And the, uh, the fact that the, the well-off men of the city cannot last more than an hour without their prostitutes. Uh, without, without them, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is made. Yeah, and then yeah, the third one is openly a tragedy, comedic. right? It ends. It ends on a suicide. Right. Um, well, a suicide attempt. Um, that is that is even well, and, framed and as it does notably yeah, lack right, comedy right. almost entirely. That is framed like, as, like I'm trying to right. You know. Is framed as even extra extra tragic because within story it is a tragedy that now this artist has 
been manipulated into having to take care of this woman he was trying to cast off, uh, which is, you know, a detriment to its story <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, right, yeah, but, yeah, we, but not to, not to, yeah. not to ovals. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just a, a bad framing, which I'm sure is right. from the Guy de Maupassant uh, story. This one is just a constant mix of low-level comedy and and you know, comedic comedic little punchlines in in scenes that are a straight romantic drama of right. a love triangle that yeah and it's an interesting love triangle too because like with the exception of when he throws the earrings in her face and tells her forces her to give them away uh, the general is not an especially cruel person to his wife. They no, they have no. an amicable relationship, even if they do not have a sexual relationship anymore, really, right? And we right. see no indication that they have a sexual relationship. Um, well, and we don't actually see any really meaning, like, unlike, what, which one was it? Uh, in, uh, which story was that? I'm losing track. Well, Laurent uh, is all about La sex. So, <laughs> right, right. But in Laurent, there's the, it's the, it is a, a very similarly fl- framed couple. Oh yeah, yeah. The, uh, the wedding like, couple uh, at the, the center the of Laurent. Yeah, the, the merchant yeah. and his wife. Yeah, yeah. The, and and then there, there's a sort of like, oh, we've lost that thing, right? right. Like we don't have that anymore. Whereas. This is like you don't even really get the impression that there was ever really right, a spark right, there. Right, right. It's like seems very much a, a a marriage of convenience is the feeling you get, and and it's really when you kind of get down to it, it is what's kind of really fascinating about the movie is how how he's it's really I don't know it's it's interesting like the general is a specifically really interesting character to watch because. It's he's one of the people who's a little bit harder to fully grasp his motivations right, and like right. why he is the way he is because he doesn't he clearly is not happy with her quote you know her for lack of a better term like indiscretion right like her affair right but like he's confronted with it earlier like I'm trying to like as I run through the story like he comes. I, I do wonder if it is the affair or the sort of quote unquote impropriety of it that like actually upsets him as you know a character. Right. It really it's interesting because obviously he can he can openly have an affair, right? And well, yeah, I mean, and he keeps talking about you know her suitors and how she's openly a flirt, and that's never been a problem prior right and they right. even you know when when she and the baron first publicly meet you know not even not even in their having run into each other prior but the you know they're running in the same circles and they're seated beside one another at the dinner party and they talk about how their friends wanted to introduce them to each other right right um right so it's not like their relationship is improper at that point. And the dance card, the whole dance card culture means that, you know, you're constantly dancing with people who are not, you are not in a relationship with flirtatiously. Right. 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 Um, that's the whole, the whole point of her relationship to the dance culture. So, so it's very, it's very iffy to me with the way that culture is presented when it becomes improper. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and I, that is a thing I sort of struggled with, not, not in like yeah. a way where I like ruined the movie or something like that. Cause I think it's supposed to be kind of right. vague. And obviously there is the whole thing is supposed to be a little unclear. There is the matter that it's improper when a woman does it period. Right. That, right. <laughs> that's just right. a thing. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, hard to hard to understand and like ultimately even the general cannot out articulate the relationship thing 
publicly as his problem with the Baron, right? Right. Because exactly. when he challenges the Baron to the duel, it's not, it's not. You, it's on you a, made my a wife crazy pretense. Yeah, you yeah. made my wife improper in any manner. It's a crazy pretense about having insulted the army by saying that if uh, if he as a diplomat does his job, the army wouldn't need to exist. Um, right. Which is not an insult to the army, but you know. No, no, and it, and it's like yeah. uh, you know, and it's meant to be framed clearly right, as right, just right, a ridiculous right, 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 pretense, right. right? Which is fine. Um, and like it, it's just really interesting because like you sort of mentally get into this place is like when you get to that point, like he challenges him to a duel, and you understand kind of on a base level like why it's happening, but at the same time, you as an as a viewer can't fully articulate what at that point what line got crossed right. that now he just needs to right basically the, come up with a reason to kill this. And guy. the line that got crossed is that. His wife is actually in love with him, right? And that's really what it I is. I guess so, but like, it's really, it is really hard to say because I like trying to review back in my head through the story. Like, if we think about what unfolds right before he does this, like, their, rela- their functional relationship hasn't changed right. at all. Yeah. Like, not at all. Like, the big, the big key that pushes it is that the the niece has been forced to sell the earrings in order to rescue her husband from from right uh uh bankruptcy we are told so madam goes out of her way and sells other things in order to buy the earrings to, just to as a keepsake back. for the baron not for the general um Right and and yeah, I. But a keepsake of a relationship that at that point is over, right? There's no, there's no moving it forward. And the thing is, is that I feel like the general, us like we as an audience member know that that's the case, right? We know that she did that because of that, right? The general, like he may know that, but he doesn't know that. You know what I mean? Like, that's never actually, as far as I can remember, that's right. never actually articulated directly to him. Right. At that point. And so it is, it is sort of a, it is sort of a, his feeling of like betrayal, right? Right. Uh, right. Never mind. I, and, you know, and of course the movie is presenting us with a, with, with an obviously hypocritical situation, right? right? right like, right. we're supposed to be left with like, okay, you literally gave the earrings that you gave your wife as a wedding present. Like, she sold them. Yeah. For 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 self centered reasons, but they were purely economical. Her, you literally gave them to your mistress as a goodbye present. Yeah, her <laughs> like we're supposed to recognize that her rebuying a, a them actually saves them from the perceived impropriety that made him buy them back to begin with, right? Because they yes, the yeah, impropriety totally, is that the it, missing it, it earrings ends the circle. Yeah, it's over. The impropriety is that if any of their friends saw these earrings for sale they would know something had gone down because they are such unique earrings. So right. so the fact that the general leaves them in the hands of the jeweler on that final circle is itself lending lending back toward that impropriety being discovered. So right. <laughs> so madam actually saves them from that impropriety. Uh but that the fact that she is so attached to the earrings at that point seems to be the uh <laughs> right, and it, and it gets kind of weird, right? But the, the, when you think about this, so we, we we do run into a classic, like, oh, well, this would all be solved if we just didn't lie to each other sort of th- scenario in a movie, <laughs> Which right? Which is true. But, like, um. um, it's, like, it's really interesting because, like, given her sort of behavior, right, and what we see and what everybody around her knows about her, them being in the jewelry shop in the first place, would probably be relatively she lies to him because she doesn't want him to know that she sold right. the earrings he gave her initial lie is based on like pres- a sort of a relationship preservation thing right, right? right. it's a i'm not going to tell you that i yeah. that i sold well, the earrings you gave me as a wedding there's present. also the implication that she has somehow racked up debt more than likely because of her consumerist lifestyle uh right. so exactly. she's 
selling these as a way to um, overcome a debt she has incurred herself, not out of any social impropriety or gambling addiction or right, anything exactly. like that, right. just an addiction to shopping. And probably most of the people who know her would... You know what I mean? Like, she's not lying for them. She's lying for her husband. Right, Because, like, she, everybody who knows her knows her lifestyle, (laughs) right? right? Obviously. And so, and and it's it's really become, it's sort of a joke of the movie to a certain extent, right? Because, like, everybody knows her lifestyle, right? right? And it's... Everybody we meet knows who, what kind of, like, what kind of person she is. And women in that social Um, standing are meant to have that lifestyle, you know? As we see in the series of... Uh, of balls we go to where the men are all in the same clothing and the women are all in new dresses each time, right? Right, right. And and so given that, like, really, him buying them the first time is not about impropriety as much as he... I. The first time he buys them, it seems more like the the jeweler... You know, the sort of, uh, it's more of about the sort of weird knock-on effects of her lie. Right, right, right. The first time the jeweler. It's about clearing this up quickly. Yeah, the jeweler brings them back, not because of any impropriety uh, on their end, but because it would would be an impropriety on his end to be seen selling what seems to be stolen property. Stolen goods, exactly. And and for him to extract himself from that situation would require pulling other people into it, uh, which would affect his which business would ruin base. His business. Yeah. yeah. So he discreetly sells them back to the general, who then puts them on a train to the other side of the continent, and uh, right. to to the complete other side of the continent. Um, right. With a woman that he hopes to see again, but does not expect to see well um right it's it's debatable right right? like yeah exactly it's sort of like oh i thought this was at an end it's sort of like one of the lines that we we get and like and that's the interesting thing right like the movie is built on it's it's a classic thing in movies right it's it's that sort of weird coincidence the the earrings come back the movie is built on so many weird coincidences and then they hang a hat on it uh where the general says uh Coincidence is only extraordinary because it's so natural uh, in conversation, I think, with the right. Baron. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just the whole movie is built on completely unrealistic, ridiculous, coincidence. ridiculous yeah. coincidence. And then people lying right. about so, those coincidences. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, keeping that sort of in mind, it's like, that's what kind of, to me, that... That is kind of one of the flaws of the movie, though, is that because it requires such a such a steep, ridiculous level of coincidence to come into play, what we end up with is this sort of story where, like, because of the coincidence, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this, but um, because of the articulate, uh, because of the coincidence, it doesn't feel like there's necessarily a natural progression of events. Whereas this were, if this were all sort of locked in the city they're in, in the story, it would feel more like it, the sort of drama would escalate more like smoothly and naturally. If, yeah. If that makes sense. Like I agree. The fact that those earrings make it all the way fucking back across the continent, sort of like they have a mind of their own. <laughs> right. 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 Is, is, kind of devalue some of the dramatic escalation yeah. a little bit because you're like, oh, well, like, now that we're dealing with it is essentially a D&D magic sword. Well, well uh, what it makes it feel like is an American uh, rom-com instead of a French romantic right, drama. Yeah, yeah so. that's right, right, exactly, yeah. Which sort of devalues the drama, yeah. right? Like, that that feeling feels less significant. And, and so what it means is, is that and and it works fine for like Ophul- and and you want you start to wonder if that's to a certain extent why O'Fools felt so comfortable just injecting random bits of comedy into this movie that it's hard to take seriously, even though there are some intended to be serious dramatic moments. Yeah, the it it never plays itself a hundred percent serious. Right, right, and the comedy in it feels very Lubitsch, right? 
just right. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is completely at odds with the trauma <laughs> to, right. a, to a ridiculous degree. And so the net result I, I get to though is you almost get the writer of this book hated the movie and you get the sort of, I get this sort of weird back of my skull impression that maybe Ovos wanted to poke fun at her a little bit <laughs> for this kind of stupid story. Maybe. Like, is this kind of just at its heart kind of just dumb story? Well, it depends on it depends on how how different the novel is. And like her complaints about the adaptation suggest that there wasn't uh there wasn't as much trading of hands. Um so I don't know the only no, only thing I know about the novel is what I have inferred from the way she talks about the differences between her novel and the book. And further right. inferring of what she doesn't talk about as differences between her novel and the book. So I am going to work on the assumption that the storyline of the book still involves at least one coincidence of the earrings coming back right. with the Baron. Um, right, because one would assume that she would be like, "That's fucking ridiculous." Right. Maybe not quite as far. If that weren't in the book, but if if something weren't right. like that in the book, it seems like one of the things she would complain about, right? So, right. Um. So maybe maybe it is maybe it just is Ophel's turning that up to eleven to poke fun at <laughs> to poke fun at. Uh, well, that's why that's what I mean. A woman if, if he, she he apparently complained knows, about the number. Right. Right. So like if 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 she if one of the things she complained about is how many times it changes hands. Right, right, right. But not like, oh, it traveled all the way across the continent or some crazy shit like that. One does wonder if yeah, maybe he's just like, Oh, I bet I can trade these jewels two, three extra times in this fucking story. Right. Um I don't know. We'll never know because I am surely not going to read this. <laughs> Almost um, certainly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could. I I don't know a lot of things for certain in my life, but I can almost guarantee you I'm never going to read this book. Yeah. <laughs> I say, and then like a month later, I'm like knee deep into it. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, if I haven't, I, which as a total non sequitur or anything, that was what I, I, I ever. T- I think I mentioned when I read the iTunes reviews that one of them was like, they haven't even read that fucking book. <laughs> I was like, what are you? Are you what? Wait, what? What? <laughs> Did you think we were gonna read all the books of the? Mo- <laughs> oh, what? I really. And that, and in my head now, I'm like, I should just. Yeah, this will be the only one I do that. With. I really hope this that really that, not very interesting story. I really hope that that review was for Berlin Alexander plots too. That would be that would just oh, be the best I, the best was, icing was, on top of that. I I think it was Fear and Loathing in Las oh, Vegas, okay. but I can't remember. That that I seems don't, I accurate. don't remember what it was. I also have no interest in reading Fear and Loathing. I'm sorry. Well, I I actually might have a little bit of an interest, but like the thing about it is, if I haven't read that one, I'm sure shit not going to read this. <laughs> right, right, right. In the end, like I liked it okay. I just I liked La Placier much more in some total. Yeah. Uh and not big and I don't know that any of what the reason I dislike this is something that like O'Fools did wrong. I just found the story itself overall a little less engaging. Probably because of its sort of like half romant like romantic drama, half rom com feel. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I did not engage with it, but I sort of, I don't know. I like, you can kind of tell how, like how much a movie matters to me based on like how deeply engaged I am with it. And the first two of these movies I watched really pretty intensely. I was rewinding a lot. Right, right, right. Checking up on stuff. And this one, I just sort of, I just sort of rode it out. I just, I just rode that wave. It was fine. I didn't, didn't dislike it. I didn't love it. The story is ridiculous. Um, I do like the idea that apparently in a duel, like one dude just, okay, gets, yeah, I that is did it at the same. That time. is the worst dueling rules in the history. Like it feels to me like that's like oh good the guy who's got the, who's angry yeah the offended party kill. goes first that is 
<laughs> that is a like, jerk like, rule well, for a like duel. <laughs> yeah, it, that's. I was like, I and and really, you get into this like, oh, the the if, if he's not guilty, the fire won't burn <laughs> right, him to death. Right, right. Like kind of deal where it's like that dude's gonna kill that guy. Like <sighs> unless you're so far away that you're probably both gonna miss. Dude, like, you can essentially walk around. Well, and I guess you get into it in the movie, right? Because, like, the general cooks up a bullshit excuse to use dueling rules, a ridiculous dueling right, rule, to right, commit murder. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. If you're not shooting your duel at the same time, it's just, it's not a duel, it's an execution at that point. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and at least let the offending party go first so that they can purposely miss as a manner of apology uh right right exactly i didn't kill you now you shouldn't kill me <laughs> right. yeah it's like a kind of olive branch right right, right. Uh, whereas if the like, offending party goes first and decides to show mercy uh it is not the same level of uh right yeah i don't know it's i mean it's its own thing i, I mean regardless it's a stupid rule. and also like, regardless if you're gonna do duels do them right right, please. right mercy was not shown here so um yeah so the end of our movie uh our uh our original couple uh are uh boy i bet that's awkward once they get home huh well they don't get home she dies too well, that's true. Okay. Yeah, she has the heart attack and and collapses and. Right, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I I, I mean, of, I guess I guess we don't know for certain that either of them died, but yes, I actually didn't read that as her dying though. She she faints right. All the she time. does have the history of the fainting fits. So, so I read it as a fainting fit, and then yeah, in my head I was like, oh, she placed those earrings. I thought those earrings were on his. Oh yeah, like it was a funeral. Like we're an offering to him. Like it was a funeral scene or something. But it could have been to no. her. No, they were. I don't know what who would have done it sentimentally for her. No, she. You missed. Uh, before she went to the duel, she went back by the church, and she oh, left the earrings. I didn't, I didn't notice. That. She left okay. the earrings at the altar when she was at the church there. Oh, okay. Um, All right. As so, an actual donation. Yeah, so it is actually... So they could yeah. both still be alive. They right. could be in, like, fucking Cancun. Right, 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 right. The surprise... She faints. He, like, walks down the hill being like, well, he winged me, but I'm fine. <laughs> uh, right. And then and I decided not to shoot there, back because this shit's stupid. There is a Lubitsch ending uh, to this story. Um, and it's... it's and they just, like, fly off to Cancun. It's cut shit, to man. a beach in Cancun where... Yeah, man, I love it. I, I'm I'm here she's, for it. I mean, she's sitting in a lawn chair holding a novel with sunglasses, and uh, yeah. and someone comes up to offer her a drink, and it's him with a cane. Uh, right, right, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's great. It's great. That's that's how this movie should end, and in my mind now does. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I'm fine with it because, like, <laughs> frankly, the 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 real ending is not satisfactory. Um, well, it's, it's interesting to me that you read that as a heart attack. I read that completely different. Well, I only, wow, I only did, I read it as worse because one, it's the culmination of all her attacks, uh, which we know to be right. real, even as her husband true. accuses her of faking a, <laughs> them occasionally. Right. But right. also as she gets out of the, uh, the carriage at that point, um, uh, <laughs> The carriage, by the way, is another complaint the author has. Uh, okay. That she says two door carriages are hearses. <laughs> it's her complaint. Oh, oh so any, okay. Anytime she, anyone's shown in a two wheel two door carriage, it's wrong. Um. Anyway, uh, as she's getting wow, this this person is so specific. Right. right. As uh, as Madame is getting out of the carriage at the woods. The uh, the nurse, uh, her her lady-in-waiting nanny, I think is what she calls her the entire time, right? Um, tells her explicitly, the doctor said not to uh, overexert yourself. Right, right, yeah, and I heard which is that. Which is also, you know, but you I, can write that off as something a doctor would tell a well-off Right, woman, like doctors right? say that. I mean, like, okay, I'm going to level with you. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> the doctors on there tell them not to do shit all the time, and then they're fine. Right, right, right. 
Uh, but that shows how how brave they are, right? So <laughs> right. Well, she's very brave. She's gonna run up that fucking hill and stop a duel, right? Which is apparently at least two her, more ridges her, away. Like, right, why did the I, carriage I stop? Know, so, like, why the driver couldn't get a little bit closer <laughs> right, is beyond right. me. Did they all fucking hike up there with the guns and shit? Yeah. Like, what are they doing? Uh, this duel seems like a lot of work. <laughs> A lot of work for for a manufactured murder. Um, yeah, yeah, for yeah for an execution yeah. disguised as some I don't know some bit of polite society. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I don't know. It's it's, I yeah I I don't know. I just read her as like fainting. Like it, I I read it as more serious than her normal fainting, but, but yeah. as still like something she would like you know. I'm recover like at least pseudo. I believe from. that the movie is meant for us. Yeah, for both of them to be dead at the end of the story. Um, well, if it's meant to be a proper tragedy, right, then, right, yeah, right. they should both be dead, right? But uh, yes. who's going to kill the general? Uh, well, he gets to Zeus. live with the guilt the of having hurt his, uh, killed his wife. No, it's it's a, it's one of the Greek gods. <laughs> Zeus punishes him to be like tied with his <laughs> entrails. He gets lightning struck. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Something. something. We'll, we'll figure it out later. <laughs> there's, there's an addendum to the to the placard at the church. <laughs> also, Zeus is real. Who knew? Um, <laughs> yeah, don't look at that shit. Oh, who knew? Uh. <laughs> Makes you wonder why we're still doing this here at this place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we could probably pull this to a close. Uh, this week we have been talking about our uh, our last in a series of Max O'Fool's movies, The Earrings of Madame Day. We'll see another O'Fool's movie sometime in the future. Uh, I think it's pretty All far right, off, yeah. if I remember correctly. Uh, it was like I thought maybe you said six hundreds, but I don't yeah, know. we had we had talked. It's it's a couple years off. It is five oh three. Oh, that's not that far away. Louis Montes, uh from nineteen fifty five. So his next film, in fact, and that will be the uh, the last one we get to watch. Next week we'll be talking about uh, another Ozu film. And always happy to see more Ozu. Um, yep. With an autumn afternoon from 1962. So look very much forward to that. Uh, after that, we have a couple Melville films, which I'm sure will be fine. Um, but but uh, Ozu will set our bar high as we move forward. So thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oetari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Lost in Criteria. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.